Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. You to turn back to Revelation chapter 2 where we were just reading a little bit ago and we'll continue our study through the book of Revelation and we're making our way through the uh, messages, the letters that Jesus had sent to seven different churches. Um, that's what composes chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation. If you remember um, when we were first getting in here, and I think really as we finished up chapter 1, God gave us kind of an outline there. In chapter 1, verse 19, he told John to write the things which thou hast seen. That's chapter 1. And then the things which are, and that's chapters 2 and 3, and really even what we are experiencing here today, 2,000 years later. And then eventually from chapter 4 on, will be the things which shall be hereafter. So this is a message this morning, verses 18 to 29, chapter 2, that Jesus had for the fourth church listed here uh, in the third and fourth chapters of Revelation, like the rest of them. It is also a message uh, for us. At the end of each message Jesus gives to these specific seven churches, we find, let him who has an ear hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So each one of these messages, messages for all six of the other churches, messages for Dublin First Baptist Church 2,000 years uh, later. And the message that Jesus had here for the church at uh, Thyatira uh, is it's the longest of all the letters. Uh, they receive a long commendation, uh, but also a long and serious and urgent critique of some things going on there that definitely should not be happening in the lives of Jesus' followers. Uh, Christ has called his church to be holy, and we are to maintain purity in his church by dealing uh, with sin in its midst. And we should never be ignoring sin. We should never tolerate sin. And, and when this does not happen, when our focus is not holiness or purity, when sin becomes pervasive and entrenched in the church, it becomes a major hindrance to the testimony of the church and its being able to accomplish uh, its purpose. And we read this earlier before we study verses 18 to 29, verse by verse. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. God, we need your help to understand your word. Um, even here in this section of, of Revelation 2, this message you have from a church that, um, you know, this was written almost 2,000 years ago. And uh, we got a message even for us today, a warning, a commendation, a, a criticism even maybe for us, a command definitely for us uh, to live uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit as transformed people uh, to live like Jesus, uh, to be holy as he is holy, uh, to have a purity among us that helps us stand out from, from the world which you have redeemed us from. And God, I pray that you would use your word this morning and here at the end of, of 2023 and the beginning of a, another year, um, use your word, Lord, to convict us and challenge us to live in a way that's pleasing to Jesus Christ and that points others to him. We ask this in his name. Amen. 
All right, well, let's look at the commendation, verses 18 uh, and 19. And as with the previous three messages uh, to these churches, uh, before Jesus gets to the commendation, uh, commending them, complimenting them for what they're doing right. He always identifies himself using language from how he described himself back in in chapter 1. And verse 18 says, And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who has his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. And that's what Jesus, how Jesus described himself back in toward the end of chapter 1. And so what are we to understand about who Jesus is from the self revelation here. Um, He's got a purpose in it. He doesn't describe himself the same way to each one of these churches. It's very different, specific. Well, Jesus wants the Christians in Thyatira and us here this morning, he wants us to remember, first of all, that uh, uh, really who he is. He's the son of God. These things saith the Son of God. And so the emphasis there is on his deity. It's on the authority of Jesus Christ. This is the only place in the entire book of Revelation where Jesus has that title, the Son of God. And uh, his eyes being like unto a flame of fire, that reminds us that Jesus sees all. And so surely the one who knew the evil hearts, the evil thoughts of the Pharisees and called them out on it, surely he knows our every thought and word and deed. There's no point whatsoever in thinking we could hide anything from Jesus. His feet here being like fine brass, that that emphasizes his holy indignation towards sin and the surety of his delivering righteous discipline and judgment against any careless attitude we might have towards sin or an apathetic attitude towards sin in our lives. His feet being like fine brass, the picture there is he will stamp out evil. You can be assured of that. He, he must. Now, I'm not sure if you've noticed, but we're on our, our fourth church now. Um, with each descriptive identification of who Jesus is, uh, they be, they've become more and more harsh, I guess, that from our perspective. Uh, and probably because the problems in these churches that Jesus is addressing have become more and more serious. But, but it's in verse 19. Let's get to the commendation. It's in verse 19 where Jesus compliments them for what they're doing right. He says, I know your works. And then Jesus divides those works into four categories. I know your love. I know your service. I know your faith. I know your patience. And so while this church, it definitely has uh, its problems. We're going to get to that. Um, but they have love. They have love. And so in that regard, they're doing better than the first church we addressed back in Ephesus that Jesus wrote to. Um, Here in Thyatira, they're busy doing what Jesus told them to do. They're serving him. And they're doing it in faith and they're doing it with perseverance. Even when obstacles come their way or maybe persecution, they're they're still doing it. In fact, Jesus says, uh, and the last to be more than the first, meaning that they're becoming more missional. This isn't a church that seems like it's dying. No, they're becoming more active and they're going on mission more and they're becoming more active in all of these works for the Lord. But it's in verses 20 to 23 that Jesus communicates the criticism that he has for the church at Thyatira. He says, I got a few things against them. In verse 20, lists them. First of all, they were, they were tolerating, Jesus says, thou sufferest, meaning they were allowing uh, a woman in the church that he calls here Jezebel. They were allowing, they were tolerating her to lead Christians in that church to commit fornication, 
and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Those are the two things that Jesus has against them. Um, I suppose it's possible that her name was Jezebel, but I believe it's probably more likely that Jesus is calling her that here to connect her to the Old Testament character, uh, the woman uh, in the Old Testament that had that name. And by doing that, there's obviously some intent, right? Jesus has a purpose in teaching, even by doing that. T- times change in popular names for boys or girls change, but in my almost 50 years now, I've never met a girl named Jezebel. There's probably a reason for that, right? Um, Jesus purposefully associates this woman who's causing problems in the church here in Thyatira. He, he associates her with Old Testament uh, woman who, who had led God's people into immorality and into idolatry. Uh, Jesus says that she calls herself a prophetess, meaning that she wasn't a prophet. Uh, she didn't have that Holy Spirit-given gift. She claimed to. Now, there were other men and women in the church at that time who did, but she did not, though she claimed to. Uh, but it's what she was advocating, it's what she was teaching, it's what she was leading other Christians to do. That was a problem and the reason for Christ's criticism. Uh, not just her, but actually the whole church who was tolerating it. She was leading them to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. So let me address the second one uh, first. Uh, in the book of Romans, uh, in 1 Corinthians, God has the Apostle Paul ad- address this, uh, eating things sacrificed to idols. It's somewhat difficult for us to understand because we don't have that type of, uh, of issue in our culture. Um, here here in, in Thyatira, in Corinth, in Rome, there were Christians who were doing that. This is a situation. Uh, pagan people would go and worship their God in their temple, and they would bring food to the God. And then after the service was done, obviously the food was still there because the idol doesn't eat. And so they would take that food out, and you would sell it on clearance. I don't know about you. Anybody a big clearance fan? I am. I'm a little sketchy when it comes to meat. I'll double check it. You definitely got to use it or freeze it when you bring it home, right? But they would, hey, it was a good deal. And they knew, even Paul says it in Romans and 1 Corinthians, he's like, it's not a sin because that's not a God. It's just a carved object. And so just eating it in and of itself, that is not sinful unless, there's always an unless, right? Unless it bothers your conscience. I mean, really anything can be a sin if it bothers your conscience. So don't do it if that's the case. Or or, or God has, Paul tells us, or unless there's some greater association with idolatry. Like are you going into the temple and sitting there waiting for it where people might see you going in and wonder, is it affecting your testimony? Well, then then there's an issue, and that's probably what was going on here. See, Thyatira was an interesting city. It was small, smallest of all the cities that are addressed here. Um, not really a whole lot of big major temples like the other ones had. They had some. But what Thyatira did have was something called trade guilds. And so whatever your profession, if you, uh, no matter what you, you did, you had to be a member of one of these trade guilds. You didn't have the option. You couldn't just be self-employed on your own. If you were employed, no matter what you did, you had to belong, kind of like a union, I suppose, but not, not exactly. It's a little, a little different. And so um, you couldn't work. 
You couldn't make a living otherwise. And each of these trade guilds, they had a small G God, kind of like a patron saint that they would worship. So if you were a, I don't know, a, a textile person, if you made clothes, you would have, you'd be in this trade guild and you would have this God. You'd have a temple where you go and worship this God. And if you were a carpenter, same, same type of, uh, of deal. And so it's likely that uh, this self-proclaimed prophetess she was teaching Christians in this church that, look, there's nothing wrong with being a Christian on Sunday, coming and worship, but also going Monday through Saturday, going to your trade guild and um, going to the idolatrous feasts that were in the temple on the other days of the week. Idolatrous feasts where immorality was always a part of worship. And that's very hard for us to understand. We can't really think that there would ever be that going on in a, in a type of worship setting, but that's what was happening. And, and so now let me address that first of those few things that Jesus had against them. See, because of her influence, there were people who professed to know Jesus as Savior and follow him, people in the church of Thyatira who are also committing fornication. This is not the first time that Jesus has addressed this particular sin in these seven letters at the beginning of Revelation here. It's not the first time that, that Jesus has had to, God has had to address uh, about this sin in, in the New Testament, in his word. I mean, it's a prevalent temptation then. Their, their culture was crazy. Immorality was rampant. It is in ours. Even today, 2,000 years later. And um, here, and, and even in the previous letter to a, a church, God singles out this particular sin. I know, listen, I know that in some sense, all sin is the same. It is, in some senses. Um, if, if I lie, if I use God's name in vain, if I have hate in my heart towards someone, those sins, all those sins I just mentioned, they are just as much rebellion against God. They are just as much cause for Jesus to have to atone for them on the cross as murder or, or as fornication, sexual immorality, adultery, whatever you want. Sins that we might like to categorize as, as worse. Um, but there are some sins with greater consequences. And fornication, and immorality, uh, those are terms the Bible uses for any sexual encounter outside of that between a married man and a married woman, a husband and wife, anything else. That's one of those sins that has greater consequences. We know God's word tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4.3 that this is the will of God that you abstain from sexual immorality. And so to a church that was definitely struggling with this kind of sin, God says in 1 Corinthians, they were struggling with it. It wasn't just Thyatira. God says in 1 Corinthians 6.18 that we as Christians were to flee. <laughs> That's how you're to fight that sin. You're to flee sexual immorality. And listen to what God says right after that. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. So don't tell me that all sin is the same. God's given you a difference right there. And that way, it's different. In battling this sin, there's no messing around. Don't be trying to, to stand and fight, trying to resist it. No, we're to flee. And God's word tells us how to do that. And it's crystal clear in this verse, among others, that, that God's word, he's delineating a difference in this particular sin. Yes, it is no different than any other sin in that it would send Jesus to the cross. It's no different than any other sin in that it requires the same remedy. Praise God. Any sin can be forgiven if we confess and repent of it. Amen? Doesn't matter what it is. But God is delineating a difference here. 
in his word. He's saying right here that sexual immorality is a different sin. It has different consequences than other sins. When we go outside the parameters that God has given in his word uh, and his created purpose, his design, his blessing in sexual relationships, um, well, then there, there's serious, sad, painful consequences. There, there is an emotional and spiritual component with this temptation and sin that there's not with every other sin. It's just reality. God's word tells us that. Even modern psychologists are finally coming into alignment with God's word on that. And like any other sin, it leads to one and only one place. Death. That's what God said way back in the Garden of Eden. You do this, you will surely die. And that's exactly what God warns this church of now in verses 21 to 23. We, we don't have the specifics, but this woman who was leading others in this particular type of sin, she had been called to repentance, but she didn't repent. She loved her sin. She loved leading others into it more than she loved Jesus Christ. And so Jesus boldly predicts what is going to happen as a result in verses 22 to 23. He says, I will cast her into a bed and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation. Except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children. Not meaning literal children, but those who are following her. I will kill her children with death. Why? Why would God do that? Because he's so hateful? No. No, I don't think so. Because even in this, God's issuing a call to repentance. That's a merciful God. That's a graceful God. Even here in great grace and mercy, he's calling them to repent in this warning. No, not because he's hateful, because he's a holy God. Jesus is a holy God. Do you think Jesus takes sin seriously? Don't you think the one whose head was impaled with a crown of thorns, the, the one whose back was ripped apart by a whip, whose hands and feet were, were pierced through with nails because of my sin and your sin, do you think he takes sin seriously? I think so. Yeah. And he did all of this <laughs> so that we can be freed from the penalty of sin death and hell forever. And so we can be freed from the power of sin over our lives. As a Christian who's indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you don't have to sin anymore. It doesn't have the power over you it had before you came to faith in Christ. And Jesus says in the second half of verse 23 that he would do this to those who did not repent. And he's got a reason here so that all of the churches will know that I am he who searches the, says the reins in the hearts. That's King James, kidneys in the hearts. Hearts and minds, that's what it means. So they'll know. And I, I will give unto every one of you according to his words. Jesus doesn't tolerate sin in those who are his. And neither shall we. I'm very glad that, just like we sang, he receives us just as we are. But ne never, never to leave us that way. No. He, he made a way to deal with sin. He made a way to be cleansed from it. And for us to live in victory over it if we turn to him in confession and repentance and, and then we receive his full and free forgiveness and praise the Lord, we can change. Isn't there any, is there any better news than that, that we can change? And going into a new year, man, I, I got to make some changes. We can change. That's a command, repent. It was already given in verses 24 to 29, but uh, just as it has been in the previous churches, that's what Jesus has been saying every time, repent. Have that change of mind, that change of heart that leads to a change of behavior. 
He says, repent. Those involved in immorality in this church and idolatry, they needed to repent. And those who approved of it, maybe not like outright, but because they tolerated it in their church. They needed to repent too. And verses 24 and 25 let us know that while this sin might have been widespread in the church of Thyatira, but not, not everyone was involved. And, and it says, to those who have not known this doctrine, you have not known the depths of Satan. Jesus says, I'll put you on you none other burden. This is just what I'm asking you to do. But that which you have already, hold fast till I come. So there's actually two commands here. One of them's correct. Hey, correct what's wrong. And the other is cling to what's right. And every time that Jesus gives us a command, not just in these messages, throughout his word, but he always promises us the reward for obeying that command, for addressing what he's criticized, and for continuing on in everything he's commended. Verses 26 to 27, Jesus promised those who overcome. So, so for those Christians who will faithfully live in obedience to him, he says, I will give you power over the nations. And that is a promise to the faithful Christian that they will rule here on this earth with Jesus when he comes back with us after the rapture to establish his millennial kingdom here on earth for a thousand years. These verses, they're a quote from Psalm 2, 8 and 9. And this promise is also found in 2 Timothy 2, 12 and later on in Revelation 20, verses 4 to 6, where it talks about the millennial kingdom of Christ. And the word rule here, he says, you will rule. Christian, you're going to rule in that day. Uh, the Greek word, Poimene, it means to shepherd. You're going to shepherd. Jesus is going to use you to lead and to guide when he reigns here. And that's what we're going to do with Jesus during his millennial reign on earth, if we overcome. And the second promise for obedience, it's in verse 28. Jesus says, I'll give him the morning star. What's that mean? Well, in 2 Peter 1.19, Revelation 22.16, it's a name for Jesus. So you get Jesus. <laughs> You get a relationship with Jesus forever. Now, in this instance, in the time referred to here, you get Jesus face to face for eternity. And there's no better reward than that, is there? Man. And we don't have record in Scripture what happened here in Thyatira. Did they correct what was wrong? Did they cling to what was right? Um, we do have record in church history that this church in Thyatira, it fell to a different heresy a couple decades later, and this church had disappeared by the end of the second century. What about you, though? As God addresses each one of us here this morning in these verses to Jesus with, with eyes of uh, flaming fire. Second time he's been pictured that way here in Revelation. He knows about any sin that we might have in our lives. Sin that so far, we're, we're coming to the end of 2023 and we, we've not dealt with it as we know we should have. Dr. White uh, told, uh, he used this illustration, I remember it, a mother who, um, she took her daughter to a photographer to have, you know, when you got kids, you want to have pictures. And when she looked at the proof, she got kind of upset um, because she saw faint spots all over her daughter's face on them. And the photographer said, like, I don't know, this is before we got, you know, Photoshop and all that, filters. And um, he said, I, I don't want to tell you, ma'am, but like, this is really high expensive high resolution lens and it only picks up what what it sees she was upset at his uh, his comment she stormed out of the business unsatisfied she went home and the next day when she went to wake up her daughter her face was covered with measles that lens picked up something that she couldn't see jesus eyes 
his discerning, penetrating eyes. He knows what's in our hearts, sin we have in our life that we've so far refused to confess and repent of. And in his great grace, he issues us a call to repent this morning, to have a change of heart, a change of mind that will lead to a change in action, behavior in our lives. He calls us to run to him. This is a welcoming invitation to repent, to run to him, never away, no longer hiding. And what we receive when we go to him is his free and full forgiveness so that we can begin a, a changed life. You know, at the end of, of one year, at the beginning of another, what a perfect time to obey him. But, you know, just like in this situation where Jesus said, hey, I gave her a time to repent, she hasn't. Um, repentance is not always guaranteed. The opportunity. St. Augustine once wrote, our, our Lord, in his word, he promises full and free forgiveness for any who will confess and repent of their sin, but he doesn't ever promise us another opportunity to do so because of our procrastination. So will you grab his grace this morning in confession and repentance? Will you do that or will you reject it once again? As Tommy comes, um, do you have an ear to hear what the Holy Spirit has said to